Otherwise, Hebrews chapter 6. Yes, Hebrews 6. We are in a study of the book of Hebrews. And this morning I want to bring you to the crux of the matter. How many of you have ever heard that word, the crux of a matter? The word crux comes from the word cross. Crucifixion. The crux, it's where everything comes into alignment and meet in the crosshairs, if you will, that center place. Uh, that's the last slide. If we could get to the first slide, it would be great. Um, and uh, so, the crux of the matter. Now, in the book of Hebrews, We've been going through the introduction and the argument that the writer of Hebrews has been making that Jesus is absolutely better than the Old Covenant. He's better than the prophets, better than the angels, uh, greater than Moses, uh, greater than the Sabbath, greater than the high priest. And now we're coming to the central warning and uh, indictment that he has against the Hebrews against those Jewish believers who are accepting Jesus as Messiah, but considering because of persecution and uh, estrangement from their culture to going back to synagogue and going back to the Lord. And so he's at the crux of the matter where now he must warn them and tell them what would happen. I'm telling you, Jesus is so much better. But if you choose to leave, you're in trouble. That's the crux of the matter. So let's start in Hebrews chapter 5, if you will, with me. And we find ourselves at verse 11. After he was discussing Melchizedek, he had so much to tell them. And he says this in verse 11. 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. He's saying that you guys are not advanced enough to comprehend the righteousness that Christ has brought through His sacrifice. You should fully comprehend that Christ has completed the Old Covenant and He is your righteousness. But as far as righteousness goes, you're still weaning on milk. You don't know the meat of it and you don't know the life of righteousness. You should be teachers by now. But you're still infants. Therefore, let me go over the basics once again with you. And this is the problem. Now, we can bring that into the church today where there are many who are still infants not knowing the meat of God's Word. The meat of God's Word is not just being hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. Those who understand that I'm not just saved, but I have become the righteousness of God. Therefore, the righteousness of the law is lived out in me. You know, that's why Jesus died. If you read the book of Romans, it's so that we would fulfill the law of God. Oh, I thought I didn't have to bother with that anymore. I thought I'm saved. Thank God I'm going to heaven. Now I'll just wait till I get there. 
You're to become the righteousness of God so that the righteous works of the law would be lived out in us. And what is the what is the pinnacle of the law? What's the whole purpose of the law? Jesus put it this way. To love the Lord your God Almighty with your whole heart, mind, soul, and body. And to love your neighbor as yourself. You can now do that by the power of God's Spirit living in you. You see, and he's saying, you, 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 you folks, you should be there. And his main point is, as Jews, you held the oracles of God. You've had the revelation of God all of this time. You were to be a light to the Gentile world that when Messiah came, you were going to deliver the message to everyone. And he came. And you don't get it. you got a job to do and you're not doing it. And you're babies. So we're going to have to go over this again. And... You ought to be teachers by now. Israel's supposed to be teaching the nations. That's why God had worked with them. And so, I'm going to have to go back to the fundamentals with you that Israel should have recognized, but got caught up in religion. And they didn't. Oh, they're professors, but they're not possessors. They're professors. They profess, but they don't possess. And that's their issue. And so they think maybe it's better to go back. And so now we come to Hebrews chapter 6. Now I want to tell you something. You read every commentator, and he'll tell you that Hebrews chapter 6 is one of the most difficult passages to interpret in the Bible. And we're going to get into it this morning. And I need you to pay attention. I need you to learn this. Because if you don't, the devil's going to have a field day with you. So let's read through it. There it is if you don't have your Bible turned there. Hebrews 6. We're going to read 1 through 6. Now let's remember what we're building the argument on. They should be teachers. They should understand a life of righteousness living in Jesus Christ Messiah, but they don't. And so they only have the milk, so we've got to go back to the fundamentals, the foundations. And in chapter 6 it says this. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ, about Messiah. Let's leave the elementary teachings about the Messiah and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, laying out of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitted, we'll do that. Here's the foundation. He lists six essential foundations Messiah came to deal with and came to establish. Six foundations that Israel should have already known that Messiah was coming to establish these foundations. But they don't get it. He said, we want to move on now. Kindergarten's over. Let's get an advanced a life of righteousness, not just talking about it. Not just having something cover it by sprinkling or lighting candles or incense or animals. Let's get into the meat of this thing, the science here. So I don't have to repeat to you the lessons that you should know about repentance and faith and laying on of hands and baptisms and eternal judgment. You shouldn't have to do that. God help us that we're going to move on from that. And then he goes on and he says, because, let me tell you why. And then go into verse 4. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance, because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Is it because, you see... If you don't know this foundation and you fall away, it's impossible to come back to repentance. Now that passage, the reason that's difficult is because we have to try to understand what he's saying. 
And there's a, two different camps of interpretation for this, basically. One is this. By reading this as it says, you can be saved, enlightened, tasting the Spirit, and so forth, and fall away and lose your salvation. All right? That's the one thing. That you can lose your salvation. We don't want you to lose your salvation. So you need to grow and hold fast so that you don't lose your salvation. The second camp would be that we're sealed under the day of redemption. You can't lose your salvation. It is an act of God by His grace that He births you. And so the falling away is, is more so of, of a warning that, uh, that you may fall away from the blessings of God but not repent of your sins. That doesn't hold... That's a tough one, too. I don't know how you can get that out of this passage. You know, it's kind of difficult to, to, with that passage to say it's the blessings. I mean, he's talking about falling away. And he's talking about not finding repentance. So it's, that's why it's difficult, because the first one also contradicts some other scripture. If we can lose our salvation unto him who is able to complete that which he's begun in us, and save us to the uttermost, right? And unto him who is able to keep us from falling. And that we're sealed with the Spirit under the day of redemption. You see what I mean? This is, this is a quandary. This is a difficult verse. Let me tell you why. Because if we can lose our salvation, and, and many focus on this, the focus then becomes your ability to keep yourself saved. I've been a pastor 20 years. And I have absolutely come to the conclusion there's not a single person who's without sin and can maintain their life without sin. If our salvation's up to our ability to live righteously, we're all in trouble. We really are. I have a high priest who ever lives to make intercession for me. See, so this is the problem. If we can lose our salvation, my biggest issue is I know there's verses that people use to say we can lose salvation, lose salvation. And this verse on apostasy is an interesting thing because it deals with faith. It deals with what you believe. But here's my other problem. I may not have any answers with you today. You may not agree with me, and that's fine because it doesn't affect our salvation. <laughs> our salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith in Him. Whether you think you can lose it or that you'll keep it under the day of redemption, you know, uh, uh, your faith in Jesus is what keeps you, not whether you agree with me or not. Alright, but here's the issue. Here's my problem. If we can lose our salvation, then where's our faithful high priest? If he's ever living, ever living, that means always active and alive, making intercession for me, if He, by His Spirit, is making groanings within me, always interceding to keep me from falling, how can I walk away from Him? Now, I don't deny that we can deny Jesus Christ. When He reveals truth to us, when He comes to us, I believe you can reject Jesus Christ. But once you've accepted Jesus Christ and you've been born from above and birthed by His Spirit and He now abides in you, how can that change? What happens to the high priest? It really makes him out to be not that good of a high priest. Secondly, what does that say about our good shepherd? I'm sorry for the sarcasm, but what it paints a picture is a high priest who can't keep his sheep. I know Jesus said that the, the, the end of those shall be none plucked out of my hand. 
the enemy cannot take any of us. Whether he tries to breed doubt in us or uh, steal us away by sin, he can't take us from our good shepherd. He can't rob the sheep from the shepherd. And if we can, then the sheep can get lost and the sheep can fall and never return again. And I have a problem with the high priest that is going to be my shepherd. I also have a problem with eternal life. The Bible says I have eternal life, but if it's not eternal life yet because I can lose it, it's not eternal. It's conditional. And that's not what the gospel says. And then the last point is this, the new creation. The Bible clearly says that salvation is this, that when you are identified in Christ at the cross, you die with Christ. Something miraculously takes place. You are taken out of Adam. And as Romans chapter uh, 6 says, the old man is put to death. Adam, that Adam nature, that identification in Adam is put to death. You're circumcised out of that. You're taken out of Adam and you are birthed and put into Christ. And you are a new Creation, behold, the old is gone. One of the best illustrations of that is is the uh, what is it called? Is this the chrysalis where the the caterpillar is in the cocoon? Metamorphosis, which is the, actually the Greek word for it too, and 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 the the butterfly comes out. So my question is, if you've been taken out of Adam by salvation, your sins cleansed, and the Spirit of God now abides and dwells in you, you have a new nature birthed in Christ, how do you get put back into Adam? When Adam is cast off and you're taken out of him and you have a new, you're a new being, you're a new identity. See, this is the issue. If you can lose your salvation, I see it as a problem of not understanding truly what salvation is. You literally are a new being. Here's our problem, and this is where the, the conflict comes, but we're still in the Adamic container. We're still in our flesh. There's sin. There's the fight with sin. There's the struggle with sin. But I am identified in Christ. But Hebrews here says if you fall away, come on, it's real plain. It is. And that's hard. I think that context is everything. Let me, let me help you with this. And let me help you consider if this puts it into perspective. Context is everything. Who is this book written to? There we go, I helped you out. <laughs> to the Hebrews. And this is the situation. The writer of Hebrews is saying, look at it. You Hebrews who are facing Messiah, you Hebrews who are embracing the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You should have known these things and you should fully be aware of these. But you, you're not. I can't go into the depth of it because you're ignorant of the basics. So he's writing to the Hebrews and let's strip away all the language and get to the points, the key points. He says, you should be teachers by now, but you need basic instructions. Am I correct in interpreting that, right? He says, you should be teachers by now. You're still on meat, uh, meat, I'm sorry, milk. 
So let's talk about the elementary teachings of Messiah. All right. So you should be teachers, but you got to have basic instruction. He then goes on. He says, "What's the basic instruction? Let us move beyond the elementary teachings of the Messiah." All right. There's the basis. All right. So you should be teachers, but you don't know enough. We got to go back to foundational issues. What are those foundational issues? The teaching of Messiah. Who's the Messiah? What's the Messiah going to accomplish? Israel was the, was the nation that had all this instruction to be given to all the nations. They were to live out all of these instructions and preparation. Haven't we learned so far from the writer of Hebrews, this is all about Jesus? This is all about Messiah? Don't you think by now they should understand he's the light of the world? Right? That his, he's the intercession, he's the high priest, he's the bread of life. He is the covenant. He is the hidden manna. He is the law of God. It's all Messiah. These are the foundational teachings of Messiah. They should know this. Right? He said, we got to go back to this. Not laying again the foundations. What foundations? The foundations of Messiah. Instructing them on Messiah. That's what this verse is talking about. So, let's do that. Let's go into the message on the Messiah. The elementary teachings. And then he says... If you fall away from these, from what? This should help clear it. If you fall away from the foundational teachings of Messiah, you're rejecting Messiah. Does this make sense to you? And so the uniqueness is he's speaking to the Jews who are trying to embrace the concept of Jesus as the Messiah. And they should know these issues. But if they reject the foundational teachings of the Messiah, then they will be rejecting the Messiah. Ergo, no salvation. Now that's true when you're witnessing to anyone. But specifically in context, when he's ministering to these Hebrews who profess Christ, but don't possess Christ. Because they don't fully grasp who he is. That's what this is fundamentally about. Let's take a look at it. He goes, what are the elementary teachings? Look at Galatians 3.24. I have it right up here. He says, the law has become our what? Tutor to lead us to Christ. That we may be justified by faith. Another term is schoolmaster. Paul is saying that you Israelites, you Jews, in the book of Galatians, the law was given to you so that you would tutor the teaching of Messiah for everybody so that they would come to a knowledge of him when he comes. The law was given to be a tutor until the meat of Christ comes and you'll know and live this righteous life. All right? So I put some kindergarten paper up there. Let's write on it. How many of you remember kindergarten? I kind of had fun looking for it. It brought back memories. I remember the blue lines and the blue dotted line right in the middle. I never made my ends and my ends go up to the blue dotted line. It just got marked down on there. I'm over it. It's okay. God is good. All right, so what does he say? What are the foundational teachings of the Messiah? And we'll go. And let's see if Israel understands these foundational teachings. First one's repentance. <coughs> repentance from dead works. Does Israel know anything about repentance? In fact, wasn't there one sent into Israel to call them unto what? 
repentance. Isn't that the role of every prophet in the Old Testament? Isn't that foundational that if you want to receive from God, oh, if my people called by my name what? would repent, would turn from their wicked ways, right? Every prophet of the Old Testament of Israel is calling Israel to repentance. You should know this, Israel. You should know that Messiah requires repentance. Turn from your ways to his ways. In fact, John the Baptist was sent so that he would bring Israel to a place of repentance to receive whom? Messiah. So you must repent. But what was one of the main issues of Israel? You stiff-necked people. Constantly. They were stiff-necked. They were prideful people. We have the oracles of God. We have God on our side. God's for us. Nobody's against us. We'll take the ark out into battle and we'll win. I don't think so. God always had to deal with it. So, one of the foundational teachings of understanding salvation and receiving Messiah is you must what? Repent. Repent. It's standard in Israel. Secondly, he talks about faith towards God. Now, Paul tells us in the book of Romans that salvation has always been by faith from first to last. It's always by faith. Abraham is the father of faith. We have Romans 4 as a treatise of faith. So Israel should know it's by faith. By faith, Israel laid hands on the lambs to transfer their sin to the lamb. By faith, they put the cord on the scapegoat and it went into the desert. By faith, they knew that they had a right relationship with God because of their sacrifices. By faith, they knew that God, and we'll go into that later, the writer of Hebrews will really just drench us in faith. So preparation for receiving Messiah is repentance and what? Faith. Does Israel know these things? Yes, they should. They should know, and they should be ready to live in them and accept the side that they're not. They need to be taught these fundamentals again. He goes on, he says, baptisms. Baptisms. Immersions. Peter uses over and over. Uh, the writers of the New Testament say, and Peter uses it, when they walked through the Red Sea, they were baptized into Moses, immersed into the salvation of the, their deliverer. Right? Baptisms. They knew that there were ceremonial baptisms. At the tabernacle, the water labor was something they were to immerse and cleanse themselves with the washing of water. Baptisms is essential teaching. The cleansing, repentance, faith, and cleansing that Israel understood. Basic teaching for the foundations of salvation that Messiah is bringing. You with me so far? Alright. Laying on of hands. I thought that was a New Testament thing. Laying out of hands. First of all, there was the laying out of hands for the transference of sin to the animals. There's the laying out of hands for the uh, impartation of blessing. The priests would lay out of hands to bless. Aaron had hands laid on him and so forth. So you have the laying out of hands for the impartation of blessings, the impartation of sin, the impartation of authority. The laying out of hands has been known and understood throughout the Old Testament as part of preparation for he who is the one who, who basically is going to lay hands on all who come to him and deliver us from sin. In fact, we imparted our sins on him. And he imparted his righteousness to us. Standard teachings for Messiah. Resurrection. Well, where would we be? Remember half the camp of Israelites, the Sadducees didn't even believe in the resurrection, did they? 
And there was a debate within Israel, is there a resurrection or is there not a resurrection? We can't see any resurrection in the first five books of Moses. That's what the Sadducees would say. Pharisees would say, no, 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 we can see the resurrection. It's essential there. Did Jesus believe in re resurrection? Did Jesus teach about resurrection? Most certainly he did. And did Israel, was Israel supposed to have an understanding in their doctrine and foundational theology concerning the Messiah that there will be a, a, a resurrection? Yes, and we know that even Martha, when she came out to see Jesus when he came for Lazarus, he said, I, you know, hey, he'll live. And she goes, yeah, I know, in the last day there'll be a resurrection. He goes, look, I am the resurrection. They understood the theology, but they didn't understand the man. And we go to the last one, judgment. God will judge all things. What they didn't grasp fully is that Jesus is the Son of Man, that the Son of Man will hold all judgment. In fact, in John 5, Jesus says, All judgment has been given unto me. He shall come to judge the living and the dead. Alright, this is a fundamental teaching of, of Israel and Judaism that there will be a day of judgment. What they don't understand is that the Son of Man, according to Daniel chapter 9, is the one who will judge and he will return coming in the clouds. Remember when Ananias said, Are you the Son of God? Jesus said, Yes, I am. And when I return in the clouds, dude, Alright, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Jesus is confessing Daniel 9 that this, he's bringing judgment. Now this is the fundamentals. Hebrews 6 says, I want to teach you the fundamentals of the Messiah. Here they are. Israel should know them. You should be teaching these things by now, but you don't get it. How is it then, and here we go. How is it then, and he focuses on the very first one concerning repentance. You don't repent, you're not going to get saved. How is it then? It is impossible for those who don't repent to get saved. That makes sense, right? If you don't repent, there's no salvation. So it's impossible, and he's looking to Israel now, and this is where I believe we get this text messed up. This is written to the Jews to those who are standing in this position to accept or reject Jesus as the Messiah and Savior. And not to those who are saved and falling away. But you would say, but what about this next statement? And this is what I want to get at. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened. Who's been enlightened? Israel has been enlightened. Why? Whom did Jesus come for? When the woman wanted Jesus to heal her, her child, he said, I have not, I have come for the Jews, not the dogs. Oh, harsh statement. But he was using a, a, a term for that day. She said, look it, I'll take the crumbs off the table. Who did Jesus come? John 1, 9 says, the true light. It begins by saying in John chapter 1, that John the Baptist was not the light, but he came to give witness to the light. Who is the light? The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own. Who's that? Israel. But his own did not receive him. And so, he says, how could those, it's impossible for those who have been once enlightened, in other words, Messiah came for Israel. They've been enlightened as to who the Messiah is. Secondly, have they tasted the heavenly gift? 
Luke 4, 18. Did Jesus bring a heavenly gift with him? When he was in the temple, remember what he did? He read Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Set me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners. Recover sight to the blind. Release the oppressed. Proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it to the attendant. He sat down. Every eye was on him in the synagogue. And he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. He's the enlightenment. He is the light of the world. He came to Israel. They rejected him. He is the heavenly gift. They tasted the heavenly gift. Did he perform miracles in their midst? Were they blessed by Jesus' presence? Healed the sick, delivered those from demons. They received the heavenly gift. They shared in the Holy Spirit. Again, there are 37 recorded signs and wonders. John tells us that if we were to record all of them, it wouldn't fill all the books in the world. That was a three-year ministry in Israel. Did they share in the Holy Spirit? Yeah, the Holy Spirit was in him without measure, full force. Who have tasted the goodness of the word of God. Now, in the, in the Greek, that is the good word of God. And that is uh, basically a direct quote from Jeremiah 33, 14. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good word. I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what's just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord, our righteous God. Jehovah Sidkenu. Is Jesus Jehovah Sidkenu? Yes. Did he fulfill his good word? Did the word come to Israel? Yes. Repentance. And, and the powers of the coming age. Did they see the powers of the coming age? Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Does that sound like the kingdom of the coming age? Jesus said, I brought it. Here I am. What did John say? Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. That was the message Jesus said in every town. He preached the kingdom. He said, the kingdom of God has come. So... Understanding in the context, Hebrews 6 9, is this. You guys should be teachers by now. And I want to tell you something. You don't understand how great Jesus is. He's better than the prophets, greater than an angel, greater than Moses. His name is Son. He is, in fact, the Sabbath, not one who worships Sabbath. He is a greater rest than anyone else. He's greater than any high priest. He ever lives. He's eternal. He is the Son of God. His nature is God. And you should understand this, and I've got so much more to tell you about it, but you don't get it. You should be living out in Messiah the faith of who He is by a new birth, but you're still on milk. So I've got to teach you the basic foundational teachings that Messiah came to produce. He taught you about repentance, faith. Israel, you should know about resurrection, baptisms, laying on of hands, uh, transferring of power and authority, and the eternal judgment. And he said, look, it's impossible for those of you who have once been enlightened, Israel, you've tasted the heavenly gift of the Messiah, you've shared in the Holy Spirit, tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the coming age, and have fallen away, and that word fallen away, have turned away from, or reject, to be brought back to repentance. If you reject the Messiah, Jesus, right now, Hebrews, you will do as they did on the day they crucified him. To their loss, you're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. If you will not understand who he is and understand all these 
five or six things that he brought when he came. You're rejecting him. And you're no different than those who stood on the crowd and in the crowd and said, let his blood be upon us. You'll crucify him all over again. Because what he's basically saying, not that Jesus gets crucified all over, but what he's saying is, if you're not for him, you are what? Against him. If you do not accept him as the Messiah, and understand the foundations of what the Messiah is, who he is, and if you don't accept him as your Lord and Savior, you join the crowd that crucified him. Now, I'm giving that warning to everybody here this morning. You've been in church, many of you, for a long time. Coming with your parents, coming with your husband, coming with your wife. Can I tell you right now, you may have a sense of who Jesus is, and you may profess. My question is, do you possess? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ for salvation, or do you just know about Him? And would you today fully surrender your life to Him? And I have to say, if you will not, you will stand in the crowd of those who crucified Him. There's no gray area. There's no middle area. You are either born from above, or you are not. You are either one of His, or you are not. The only way you are one of His is if you have acknowledged Him as the Messiah, your Savior, your Lord and God, committed yourself to Him, confessing your sins upon that cross that He died for you, and that you are dying to self to live in Him. And that's what Hebrews 6 is all about. He says, I have to warn you, Hebrews, this is what I'm trying to tell you. If you reject Him at this point, if you go back to the temple, you're no different than those who crucified Him on that day. If you fall away from this faith, if you reject the fundamental teachings of the Messiah this day, you've rejected Him. And I believe, brothers and sisters, that's exactly what this passage is telling us. And so in context, it makes complete sense. Because you have to understand something. This is tricky for them to get. Because before Christ, they were saved because of their faith in this law. And the, the priesthood. Right? And so that's what they knew. We, we've got to understand them. Then Messiah comes. But they're not understanding fully Messiah. Though we understand, looking back, we get it. We see how he fulfilled everything. So he comes and he fulfills everything. Now what happens in the government of God? Salvation is no longer from the old covenant, is it? It is now of the new covenant in Christ. And so these Jews must make a transition from understanding salvation from their temple practices and the old covenant law and not transition into Jesus. And it's extremely difficult for them to come to that place. And he's saying in Hebrews 6, you know the foundational truths of the teachings of the Messiah. So how can you? It would be impossible for you to be saved if you reject all that He had done. He enlightened you. He did it by the Spirit before you. He, he brought the kingdom to bear in, in your midst. If you reject those things, it is impossible for you to be saved. Now, let me go back to the, to the alternative view that you can be saved and lose your salvation. 
If that's the case, according to this verse, you can never be saved again. There's no re-salvation. So if you're a believer and you think that I can lose my salvation, I turn away from God for sin, and usually every believer does. But God will not let you go. He'll come after you. Uh, uh, but if for some reason you turn from God, you distort your faith, you do something, and you walk away and lose your salvation, you become apostate, this verse tells us you can never be saved again. You can never come back. It's impossible. So if you're satisfied to believe that you can lose your salvation, can I help you never make that decision as to who has and who hasn't? Because who are you to know that someone was saved and fell away? Because now they can never get saved? And so that doesn't make sense. Why can they never get saved? Because again, what he's saying is if you reject the foundational teachings of Messiah, you won't come to repentance because you won't believe he died on the cross for your sins. Does that make sense to you? You see, it, you're not going to come to repentance if you don't believe he brought the gift from heaven, he brought the kingdom to bear, he fulfilled all righteousness, and he's uh, our atonement for sin. If you reject that, you'll, you'll never get saved. So that is the sin that is unpardonable. The rejection of Christ the Messiah. The Holy Spirit is enlightening you on who the Messiah is, who Jesus is, and your condition. And if you reject that, then you're not going to get saved. Alright, I know this is deep, I know this is a lie. But that's what he's saying to them, brothers and sisters. That's how I understand Hebrews 6. I think in context it makes the most sense that these folks were at a place where they had to make a decision. He goes on and he gives this illustration. The land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. It sounds just like Jesus' parable about the soils. The sower sows the seed. The seed goes out. But if it falls on bad soil, it grows and scorched by the sun. Or it gets shallow roots and, and that's scorched by the sun. Or the thorns and the thistles choke it off. It's cares of the world. But if it finds good soil, a good heart, it will grow into what? Salvation. <clears throat> but I knew Pastor, a guy that confessed Jesus. He said the sinner's prayer. He, he knew the Christian language and he looked like he was living a Christian life. But now he no longer serves God. Did he lose his salvation? I'll never make that determination because if he lost his salvation, he can never find it. I'm not going to say that about anybody. What I'm going to do is go say, brother, let's get back to Jesus. So he's either saved and in rebellion or he was never saved to begin with. He just learned the way of Christianity. John says they left us because they were never of us. So really this issue of can you lose salvation, can you not lose salvation is really a moot point because none of us should ever determine if someone has. Because we have to keep sharing Jesus with everybody. Maybe they came to the altar once, maybe they are saved in their backslidden state. Go get them! Right? Don't tell them they lost their salvation because according to Hebrews 6 you can never find it again. You can't come to repentance. 
Right? Isn't that what it's saying? So, so don't make that determination on anybody. Either they were never saved, and therefore who do they need? Jesus. Or they're saved and they're in a backslidden state, who do they need? Jesus. Alright, we know what our job is, okay? Does that make sense to you? Alright, so they're at a crossroads. These Hebrews, he's warning them, look it, if you reject these things that Messiah did, that are the basic teachings that I told you Israel should understand, if you reject these basic things that he brought in his ministry, you will never come to repentance because you're rejecting the cross. You're rejecting his ministry. And therefore, you cannot find salvation. He ends with this, a word of encouragement. And I conclude. He says, even though we speak like this, what do you mean? Warning. I've got to be tough with you. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case. Things that accompany salvation. In other words, repentance, uh, faith, trust. God is not unjust. He'll not forget your work and the love you have shown him uh, as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure. Make your calling and election sure. Didn't Paul talk about that? Make sure you're saved. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. We trust that you're going to accept Christ fully. We trust you're going to come into the meat of righteousness and know that it is by His blood you are saved. You'll never go back to the tabernacle. You'll understand fully Messiah is your salvation. There's no other name but the name of Jesus by which you are saved. Continue in the way you're going. You're at a crossroads. You're at the crux right now. You're trying to decide, should I further commit myself to Christ or should I go back? At this point, I'm telling you, we're expecting you to go forward into the fullness of who Christ is. Amen. Now, to us, a lot of theology today, to us, bring it on home. What about you? Here's the crux. Are you born again? Are you fully blood-washed and blood-bought? Make your calling and election sure. Are you sure? Or are you a church attender? Are you someone who professes Jesus? Or do you possess Him? Is His Spirit alive in you? Are you a son of God? Are you a child of God? This is essential for you to know right now. Because if you do not know this, you stand with those who crucified Him. And so let's bow our heads. Father God, how serious this is.